0: I want to look today at Proverbs chapter 22 6 just sort of as a springboard to start out and I want to speak to you on the subject how to train up children who will not rebel how to train up children who will not rebel how many of you were one of those rebels when you were growing up? Uh, okay some of you admitted huh all right sometimes we have children that rebel and how do we do how do we get our kids to turn out right and I know you may say, well, my kids are grown or I don't have kids or whatever, but these principles apply many of them to all of us and will help us in our Christian life as we apply them. But I got to thinking about this verse in Proverbs 22 and verse 6. What would you say is the most embarrassing promise in the Bible? What is the most embarrassing promise in the Bible? I think it's this verse, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many people have we talked to or met who tried to explain this verse and they had different explanations for it and tried to somehow justify or hope that their kids would come back to the Lord? Pastors have tried to explain this promise away or to assure their people that really does mean what it says. Some even conclude that because of this promise, the whole book of Proverbs is not inspired. Well, I beg to differ with you. Every book of the Bible is inspired. In fact, 2 Peter, Peter tells us that Proverbs is inspired. Listen to what he said in, Proverbs, or in 2 Peter 2.22. He said, Behold, it is happened unto them according to the true proverb. Peter quoted a proverb And he said, this is a true proverb. He was confirming that the proverbs are true and are inspired by God. But I think this proverb, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, has been an embarrassment to a lot of people. The immediate response is to think of a godly couple who did their very best to train up their sons and daughters to follow the faith and to follow the Lord. However, many of them turned against their parents and turned against God as they grew older. And many parents have come back to that verse and said, how can that verse be true if this is what happened to my children and in my family? Some pastors try to reassure disillusioned and heartbroken parents that this promise means that their rebellious teen will return to the Lord later in life. But I want to tell you this morning, that is not what this verse says. It promises that they will follow the Lord as they grow up and not rebel against the Lord when they get older. Rather than wrestling with the promise, I think we need to take a deep look at what it really means to train up a child in the way that he should go. How can I do that? How can I train up my children? And I, today, as you noticed, this is part one. I'm going to share several messages and a number of things that will help us to train our children in the right way. First of all, get your parents' blessing for your marriage. Amen. And I want to say to the young people that are here today, some of you down the road will get married, and get your parents' blessing on, on your marriage. I remember our, our son Andy, when he was uh, one year, he was at camp, and he met a young lady at camp, and, and she, he was a college student at the time. She was a college student at a different Christian college. And he, he really liked this girl and, and uh, developed a little bit of a relationship with her. And Vicky and I just didn't have peace about it. She was a good Christian girl. Nothing we really knew wrong about her. But God didn't give us peace. And so we sat down and talked with Andy and said, we don't have peace about it. And so Andy said he'd pray about it. And he came back and he said, Dad, he said, is this you or is this God? And I said, both. And he said, okay, I'll break the relationship. And he did. And he honored his parents. And it was just a short time after that he met Noemia, who, whom he married and, and became his wife. God brought her into his life. But I'm thankful that he honored his parents. Honor your parents. Get their blessing on your marriage. Can you imagine the foolishness of beginning a marriage with the curse of God on your marriage? But that's what happens when a son or a daughter rejects the counsel of their parents in relation to the decision of their marriage. Paul points out that the first commandment in the Bible, the fifth commandment, which is the first with promise, is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. He says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Honor your father and your mother. There are some people today in their Christian life that it is not well with them. There are a lot of problems and struggles that they're going through. And I believe in some cases, it's because they have not honored their father and their mother. The reverse of this promise is also true. And that is if you do not honor your parents, things will not go well for you. The act of cursing a father or mother simply means to revile or to lightly esteem. Under the Mosaic law, to rebel against your parents carried the death penalty. How many of you would be dead right now if we were under that Mosaic law? Aren't you glad we're not still under the Mosaic law? But even the Lord Jesus Christ affirmed that in Matthew 15. He says, for God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. Again, I'm glad we're still not under that Old Testament law. When a son or a daughter chooses to reject their parents' direction in marriage, they usually use the excuse of saying, well, I'm old enough to make my own decisions on a marriage partner. Isn't it interesting? And those of you who are parents will understand this, how much experience and wisdom your teenagers have. (laughs) It's amazing. You know what I found out through the years? The older I got, the wiser my parents were. Amen. And I'm thankful for having godly parents. But somehow, some way, we get the idea that we're too old to listen to our parents. If we are, that means we're too old to receive the blessings from our parents as well. And by the way, if you're married without your parents' wholehearted approval, it would be important for you to acknowledge that and go to them and ask for their forgiveness. And also ask them to give you their verbal blessing for your marriage and for your family. The Bible warns us in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 11. It says that if a person becomes rebellious, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. A cruel messenger... God is the one who stirs up the cruel messenger that comes against us. This messenger could be an angry parent that does not think that you're doing a very good job of raising your parents, and so they contact the child protecting agency and cause all sorts of problems in your marriage. Or it could be an angry son or a daughter who does to you what you did to your parents. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 17 says, "...the eye that mocketh at his father..." despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. Before a raven eats its prey, it will pick at the eye of the prey to make sure it's dead. And similarly, a rebellious person will lose their spiritual eyesight. They'll not be able to see things spiritually that God wants us to see. So first of all, get your parents' blessing on your marriage if, you're, if you want to have children that do not rebel against you. Secondly, number two, conquer all anger. Now on Sunday nights, we've been talking about five giants that every man must conquer in his life. We've talked about lust. We've talked about pride. Tonight, the Lord willing, we're going to talk about the giant of wine. Then the next one will be the giant of anger. We're going to talk about anger more. But I want to say a few things about it this morning. Fathers and mothers that have angry responses to each other and to their children in the home have no reason to expect good results from their child training. It's a sad fact that most fathers have an anger problem. Other fathers explain that they don't really get angry, they just are greatly irritated. <laughs> or we have this little saying, I don't get mad, I just get even, you know. We don't, we don't have an anger problem. But you know what, in the eyes of all of those that are, that are around us, they see it as anger. And this is a serious problem. People don't like to be around angry people. Those that are around us tend to become like us. And if you're an angry person, you'll tend to become, the people around you will tend to become that way. God warns us in Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. He says, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. God says, don't make friendship. Young people, when you begin the process of courting and thinking about marriage, if you're around an angry person or you're, involved in a relationship, God says, don't even become friends with them. Stay away from them. That warning is in the same chapter, by the way, as the promise that we read in verse 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he'll not depart from it. Verse 24 and 25 are the verses I read a moment ago. Make no friendship with an angry man. It's in the same chapter. It has to do with and it affects our rearing of our children. Anger has many similarities to a volcano. We've watched on the news the volcanoes that have erupted recently. And the fire is deep within the ground. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9, anger rests in the bosom of fools. People who live near a volcano never know when it's going to erupt. And consequently, it produces constant stress in their life. When anger is in the home. It produces constant stress in the home. And when it is shown, it deeply damages those that are around them. So then what is anger? If we're going to conquer anger, what is it? Anger is a deep reaction to people or situations that do not fulfill our expectations. In other words, people don't measure up to what we want them to do, or they don't do what we want them to do. Our expectations, we get angry. It's based on a love of self and a demand for fulfillment of personal pleasure and personal development. Anger quickly becomes wrath. Wrath, the difference is that it desires those that disappoint us to be harmed. When it goes from the stage of anger to wrath, then we want harm to come to that person. You know what the Greek word for anger is in the Bible? It is the word orgay which is similar to our word, orgies. We think of sexual orgies, but anger orgies are the same thing. They're unrestrained, violent passions. The word that the Bible uses to describe anger talks about fire. Over and over there are verses that talk about anger and fire. It says his anger was kindled, or his anger burned, or his anger became hot. A fire was kindled in anger. Listen to Deuteronomy 32, verse 22. It says, For a fire was kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountain. Isn't it interesting how God compares anger and fire? Kind of that volcano type thing. Same words are used to describe sexual orgies, by the way, in Romans 1, 27. It says, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was meet. And here's one of the things that disturbs me, is a guy will get all upset and and condemning and critical of a person who who is immoral sexually, but the same person will have the same burning in anger that comes out of them. You know, it's easy for us to look at somebody else's sin and say how terrible that is, but overlook our sin and not deal with our sin. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, the Lord said it is better to marry than to what? To burn. That fire, the, the sexual passions, the, the passions within us, the same thing with anger that burns within us. Then what causes anger? What causes me to get angry? Anger has both a spiritual and a physical cause. The spiritual cause is reacting negatively to the will of God in a given situation. Do you ever think when you get angry, when you get mad, you're really mad at God? Remember what Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. When we get angry, we are angry at the will of God. Amen? Amen. God allowed this, God designed this, whatever the case may be, but we're saying, God, I know better than you, I don't like what you're doing, or I don't like what you're allowing, and we get angry about it. When God spared the wicked city of Nineveh, you'd think Jonah would have rejoiced, wouldn't you? But he got angry. God had to reason with Jonah and explain why he spared the city in Jonah chapter 4. There's some other spiritual causes that result in anger, and that is things like secret sins in our life, and judging other people for the things that we are guilty of ourselves. You know what I've found through the years? Parents, it's not always parent and child relationship, but We get angry at things that other people are doing. And many times we're doing the same thing. Maybe in a different way or a different area of our life. But one of the reasons it stirs us up so much is because of the same things going on in our life. You remember when King David was told about the man? Nathan the prophet came to him and said, there was a man, he just had one little precious lamb. There was a man across the road from him. He had a whole farm full of lambs and he had visitors that came and instead of taking one of his lambs and killing it and preparing it and feeding his company, he went over and stole the lamb from this man who only had one lamb. He stole that lamb. You know what David said? David got angry. He said, that man, he's going to pay back fourfold and he's going to die. He was angry about it. You know why he was so angry? Because he had stolen a man's wife. He, as the king, had hundreds of wives, but he took the one wife of that one man. And he got angry because the same sin was in his life and it stirred it up. And so we sometimes, when we get angry, have to stop and say, okay, Lord, what's going on in my life? What do I need to deal with in my life? There's also... Spiritual cause of judging others. We, we, we judge others, and we're condemning of others. Spiritual cause. On the other hand, there's a physical cause. Sometimes anger is caused by physical matters. And one of the main causes of physical cause is low low serotonin. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter and a hormone. It is called the happy hormone. When it's not at its proper level, it promotes anger, depression, aggravation, aggression and even suicide. The best way to increase your serotonin level is light. It's light. Sunlight, bright light helps. You know, I've found people who are depressed oftentimes close the blinds. They won't go outside. They shut out the light. The very thing that will help them, they shut out in their lives. But the most effective means is to get the eternal light from the Word of God. The power of God's Word into our hearts and lives will bring light and will help us with the depression and the anger. The first thing God created in Genesis chapter 1, He said, let there be light, and there was light. When we quote the verses of God's Bible, as we go to sleep at nighttime, we memorize them and go to bed at night and quote them back to God, our brain in our head sends that down to our, our gut, you might say. The Bible calls it our reins, and our reign then gives wisdom to our heart. Psalm 67, 16, verse 7 says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night watches. The most powerful way to conquer anger in our life is to memorize and meditate on the Word of God and build it into our hearts and lives. And then there's another thing I want to mention about anger, and that is this. You cannot hide your anger with a smile. Do you ever try to fuss at somebody in anger with a smile on your face? If a parent is angry and they try to hide it with a smile, the anger is still exposed. That happens because they tell us we have a field of energy that surrounds our heart that Goes out from our heart into every 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 area, every aspect. Researchers call it the cardio-electromagnetic field of energy, and they tell us that it is 100 times more powerful than the field of energy that comes from our head. Sort of reminds me of a guy. One time, he was in a debate. Linji Broughton. He was a preacher years gone by. He's a little short guy. And he got in a debate with a guy over evolution down in Atlanta. And the, 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 the evolutionist got all upset. Len G. Broughton was kind of tying him up in in knots. And finally he looked at Len G. Broughton and he said, Why? He said, he said, I ought to just chew you up and swallow you. And Len G. Broughton, he was a little guy, but he looked at him. He said, If you did, big boy, you'd have more brains in your stomach than you do in your head, you know. <laughs> well... It might just be that we do have more brains in our stomach than we do in our head. Our heart, that electrocardiomagnetic field that that comes out, has a hundred times more energy than our brain does. It can be measured several feet away from our body. It can be picked up with those that are around us. We may claim that we're not angry, but our field of energy around us tells the truth. Get your parents' permission, blessing on your marriage. Secondly, conquer all anger. The third thing, if we're going to have children and not rebel, we need to confess the iniquities of our forefathers. Confess the iniquities of our forefathers. Scientific research is slowly catching up with the wisdom that God has revealed in His Bible about every area of life. It's amazing how science catches up after a while with the Bible. Let me give you an example. In the spring of 1998, the parents of eight-year-old April Tinsley became frantic. April was nowhere to be found. It was not like her to go anywhere without letting her parents know and asking permission. The search became more desperate as the days passed, and three days later, the mystery was solved in a tragic discovery. A jogger found April's body in a ditch 20 miles from her home. She had been abused and strangled to death. Her parents, of course, were heartbroken, and the search for the killer began. There was no clues whatsoever except for the DNA from the killer. Five years later, four threatening notes were found on bicycles belonging to young girls, written by the man who claimed to be the killer of April. Fear terrorized the community for many more years. Twenty years later, A new technique was used to identify the criminal. On July 15th, police knocked on the door of 59-year-old John Dale Miller's mobile home. When he came to the door, they asked him, do you know why we're here? And he said yes, because of the murder of April Tinsley. He confessed to the murder, and on December the 21st, he was sentenced to 80 years in prison. The new technique, which is now opening up a whole new way of finding criminals, is based on a statement that God made in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 30 and verse 5, God said, I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. The new technology that science is using is called family tree forensics. Researchers trace criminals back through their genealogies to a generational match. Let me give you some examples of generational iniquities. The most obvious of all generational iniquities is found in the book of Genesis. It's with Adam and his sin. We understand that we are all sinners, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Where did that all come from? It started out with Adam. His generational sins has been passed down to every single one of us. We're born into this world as sinners. Nobody has to teach little kids how to lie. Nobody has to teach little children how to be selfish. Nobody has to teach them how to do things that, that, that they shouldn't be doing. It's natural because we have a sinful nature. It's been passed, generational sin passed all the way down from Adam. Abraham is called the father of faith. Yet he committed an iniquity that affected the generations after him. His iniquity actually deepened as the generations went along. You see, when Abraham was traveling, he had a very attractive wife by the name of Sarah. He traveled to Egypt, and Abraham was afraid that the Pharaoh would kill him in order to take his wife Sarah. So he said, she is my sister. And she really was his half-sister, but she said, he is my, she's my sister. And that was a lie. And Pharaoh rebuked him for his lie in Genesis chapter 12. But guess what? Abraham's son Isaac also had an attractive wife and told the same lie to the king of the Philistines in Genesis 26. And Isaac's son Jacob then lied about who he was to his aged father in order to steal his brother's birthright and blessing. And in the next generation, Jacob's sons lied about their brother Joseph, about him being killed by a wild animal. When David committed his sin with Bathsheba, and I mentioned him earlier, God informed him that his iniquity would be visited upon his descendants. And as a result, David's firstborn son raped his half-sister. And then another son, Absalom, raped ten of his father's concubines. You see, when God said he would visit the iniquities of the fathers upon the descendants, the children to the third and fourth generation... He was saying that oftentimes our children are going to be tempted in a greater way than we as parents have been tempted. And the areas that we struggle with and have weakness will be passed on to our children. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons it's so important for us as dads, especially fathers, to live godly lives and to set the right kind of example for our children. And then confirmation from the science of epigenetics, researchers have confirmed that the choices that fathers make are passed down to future generations. It's called epigenetics. It tracks the information that lays on top of the DNA that actually controls the DNA and that will express itself. The DNA does not change, but the way it responds does change. Not only do parents pass along the DNA sequences to their children, but they also pass along the epigenetics as well. This applies especially to addicts that the father has, addictions that he struggles with. There's been a rapid rise in the field of epigenetics, which is now being used to solve long-standing crimes. Investigators are finding matching DNA information from the forefathers that leads them back to the criminal. Now, let me give you some examples of those who confess generational sins. The good news is that generational iniquities can be reversed. It can be stopped. God confirms that in the warning that he gave in Exodus chapter 20, and verses 5 and 6. He said, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But listen to verse 6. And showing mercy unto thousands of them, that love me and keep my commandments. God says that generational sin, that generational process chain can be stopped. He says, I'll show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The word keep there is the Hebrew word shamar. It means to guard and cultivate. Adam was told to keep the Garden of Eden. He was to guard it. He was to cultivate it. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. We are to guard them. We are to cultivate them. The Greek word for shamar is the Hebrew word. The Greek word for for keep is the word tereo. And it also means to guard or to use as a guide for life. God says, I want you to keep. I want you to guard my commandments. I want you to use them as a guide for your life remember, we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, though it would be great if we all followed them. Amen? But Jesus himself gave 49 commandments that were, were general commandments for all of us in the New Testament. So there are many commandments, and God says, I want you to guard them. I want you to keep them. I want you to use them as a guide for life. A ship's navigator is said to be the keeper of the stars as he charts his way through the turbulent waters of the ocean. The only way to carry out this reversal of generational iniquities is to confess them and denounce them and internalize the living Word of God into your heart and life. Again, we come back to that memorizing the Word of God and quoting it back to God at nighttime when we're going to sleep. Paul said in Colossians 3.16, he said, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let God's Word dwell in us richly. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 40 says, if they, if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their transgressions with they, which they transgressed against me, trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham, and I will I, will I remember and I will remember the land. In the days of Nehemiah, The people assembled themselves with prayer and fasting. And the Bible says they confessed their their sins and the iniquities of their fathers in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah cried out in Isaiah 65, verses 6 and 7. He said, I will not keep silence, but will recompense or repay. I will repay even recompense into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord. The Lord said, I will repay the iniquities of your fathers. So what do we do? We renounce them. We forsake them. Daniel prayed in Daniel 9, 16. He said, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Confess the generational sin. And then the last one I want to look at very quickly this morning is comprehend a correct view of children. Comprehend a correct view of children. Let's suppose that you're living in a country that is ruled by a king. And the king comes to you one day and he contracts you and says, you have been chosen to take care of one of my royal children and to train them for me. That's precisely the case with each of us with our own children. The King of kings and Lord of lords has contracted us to train his children. And he visits every once in a while with us on a regular basis to see how the progress is going with our children. If you're successful, he tells us, you'll be greatly rewarded. You see, God determines if a child will be born. When a child's going to be born in your family, God's determined that. A couple may decide to have a child, but it's God who has the final authority on it because it is God who opens or closes the womb. Genesis 29 31 says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was, was hated, He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Genesis 30, 22 says, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. God's the one who gives us children. Amen? He opens or He closes the womb. For whatever reason, God has His plan and His purpose. Secondly, God has a life purpose for each child. For every child that you have, God has a purpose for their life. Before that child is ever born in the womb, and before you and I were born in the womb, it was designed by God, you and I were designed by God, for a special purpose. And our children are designed by God for a special purpose. And the goal of us as parents is to help our children to achieve that purpose, to fulfill the purpose for which God has for each of us. Each child is created by God in the womb to accomplish His purpose in the world. That is clearly explained by Jeremiah in chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And just as Jeremiah God has a life purpose for every one of us. And our goal is to find and fulfill that purpose. Our goal with our children is to help them to fulfill the purpose that God has for them in their life. God has a life purpose for each child. And then every child has a potential for greatness. Every child has a potential for greatness. Every young person here today, you have a potential for greatness. God is a great and mighty God who loves to do great works. And He created man in His own image and in His likeness. And He wants to accomplish great works through those whom He has created. And He created us and He wants to do great things through us. He wants to accomplish great works through each of us. Ephesians 3.20, we use this verse in a lot of different ways, but it applies to us here. He says, "...now unto Him that is, is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us. What's the power working in us? It's God. He wants to fulfill His purpose, and God's able to do great things through each of our children and through us as well. He's chosen those that are weak to demonstrate His power. We should never evaluate a baby on the basis of his or her defects. Remember what 1 Corinthians 1 says in verse 27? It says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. God often chooses what we think are weak and useless and would throw away. And God uses them in the greatest way. God can use every one of our children for His glory, and every one of us as well. Paul confirmed this with his own confirmities. He said in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, My grace, the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. In weakness. It's God, it's not us. It's Him working in us and through us. And then think of this, every child becomes an eternal being At conception. Life does not begin at birth. It begins at conception. I want you to think about this for a minute. We would have to conclude that Jesus ceased to exist from the time that He was conceived in the womb of Mary until the time that He was born, if life begins at birth. What happened to Jesus during that time from conception? We know He didn't cease to exist, amen? Life begins at conception. And more and more preemies are surviving in our world today. I have a grandson who was just two pounds when he was born, three months premature, and he's a hoss now, <laughs> those of you who know him. In 2014, a woman in San Antonio, Texas, gave birth to a 22 week old girl weighing only a few ounces. The doctors wanted to destroy her, but the mother pled for her life. And today, that girl is a healthy child. Life begins at conception. And then each child has the potential of producing a multitude. Each child, every person in the world, came from one couple, from Adam and Eve. I was talking about this a little bit in Sunday school. And then from Noah and his wife and their family. And so, every child has the potential of producing a multitude. The nation of Israel came from one couple, and the wife was barren until she was 90 years of age. The way you and I train up our children will have a direct effect on all of the children for generations to come. It should make a difference to realize that you and I, when we deal with one child, we may actually be dealing with a multitude of people that come from that one child. That's one of the reasons it's so important that we train them up in the way that they should go. And then every child is a valuable gift from God. Many parents have not trained their children the right way, and they view them as a burden, and they probably are a burden to them. However, God designed our children to be a blessing In Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4 and 5, he said, Lo, children are an inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his result. As arrows are in the hand of mighty men, so are children of thy youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Children belong to God because God created them. They are loaned to parents for a period of time so that they can be taught God's Word and taught God's ways. Think about this. Every child allows parents to get eternal rewards. Every child allows you as a parent to get eternal rewards. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, all of the money and the possessions that you and I gather during our lifetime are going to be left behind when we die. However, our children that we have led to salvation will be with us throughout all of eternity. Amen? They'll be your eternal joy and crown. True wealth is that which lasts for eternity. Temporal riches are only for this life. And they certainly, as Proverbs 23 says, make themselves as wings and fly away. As our children grow older, they oftentimes have a desire to accomplish great things because they were made in the image of God who is a great and mighty God and who wants to do great and mighty things in and through their life. So if I want to raise children who are not going to rebel, get my parents' blessing for the marriage. Conquer anger. Deal with anger. We're going to talk about that more as I said later. Confess the iniquities of your forefathers. You ever just get along with God and say, Lord, I want to confess the failures of my father and my grandfather I don't know all of that, but there are things in their life that have been passed down to me. God, would you break those generational sins? Confess the iniquities of your father. And then comprehend a correct view of children. God's the one who gives the child. He's the one that opens the womb. God has a life purpose for each of our children. I got to thinking, my my parents had nine children. I was the fifth one right in the middle. What if my dad and mom decided at four not to have any more? We wouldn't have a Northern Kentucky Baptist Church right now, would we? I've, I've oftentimes wondered how many doctors and lawyers and police officers and all, go on down the line, all the, how many of them have been destroyed by the abortions that have been committed? And I'm a little bit older than some of you are, and I think about how all those people that could be working and paying into Social Security, I wouldn't have to worry about Social Security running out of money. You know, Look at all those millions of people that have been destroyed. Well, I'm glad my parents decided to have another one when they had me, and another one and another one. Every child has a potential for greatness. Every child's an eternal being. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. And the way we train them has a great effect on that. They have the potential to produce a multitude. They're going to spend eternity with us if they come to know the Lord as their Savior. And so we must do our part to lead them to salvation and train them in such a way that when they were old, they will not depart from it. Would you bow your heads together with me in prayer? Father. I know there are many of us who our kids are raised, mine are already out on their own for a long time. And most of us did the best we knew. And we leave the rest with you and we trust you. But there are those who are coming along behind us. Who are training their children. Would you help us to help them, to train them in the way they should go? Would you help us to deal with some of these things? All of us have to deal with the anger. And all of us are touched by the abortion and all of us are touched by the attitudes of our world about children when we have those who are higher up in leadership who want to diminish the world population to fit in their opinions and their philosophy. I pray that you'll help us. We need your help, Lord. Our young people need your help. You have a purpose for their life. Would you help us to guide them in that purpose so they can fulfill it? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.